Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. And I thought it was really important that we show that she has dreams as well, that it's not just her caring for Ptolemy, that she has her own autonomy over her body and her choices and what she cares about. And so by her name, I just decided that she wanted to be an astronomer because Robin, obviously birds fly, but she had so much trauma in her life that flying in a plane across country just wouldn't be far enough. So as a child, she would imagine going into a rocket ship and blasting off into space and maybe meeting her own ET and finding home. But before she can leave, she finds her own extraterrestrial being in Ptolemy in a way, because his mind is on different timelines and, and yeah. such. Dominique Fishback came up with a deep backstory for her character Robin in Apple TV Plus's The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, Dominique Fishback is here to talk about the last days of Ptolemy Gray and working with the one and only Samuel L. Jackson. Later in this episode, Mr. Mayor star Bobby Moynihan on the joys of his ensemble comedy. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Based on Walter Mosley's novel, The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray stars Samuel L. Jackson as the title character, an old man who is suffering from dementia and on the brink of sinking even lower when a teenage orphan, Robin, played by Dominique Fishback, winds up caring for him. The two form an unshakable bond as he undergoes a treatment that might improve his mental state and uses this precious and fleeting lucidity to solve his nephew's death and come to terms with his past. This leads them on a journey that reveals shocking truths and allows Robin to chart a path to her future. I left, but not before I kept my promise. Followed the path, I followed his every direction. Mount Coy's treasure, 14 stolen gold pieces. So, these coins? Mm-mm-mm. Ah, doubloons. <coughs> doubloons is what they is, like pirate treasure. Okay, these doubloons, they're worth real money? Sure is. All right, so you said there was 14 and I only see two. You know, Cynthia, she like pretty things. You know, jewelry, that little comb you like. And oh, I say, hundred or so silk dresses. Of course you ain't spent this money on impressing her. Uh, celebrating her. Fishback earned raves for her role in the critically acclaimed film Judas and the Black Messiah about the efforts of the FBI to undermine Black Panther leader Fred Hampton in 1960s Chicago. She's also known for her role in the HBO shows The Deuce and Show Me a Hero, as well as the Netflix film Project Power. In his review for Variety, Joshua Alston wrote that it's no small feat to stand up to Jackson in what is essentially a two-hander, and Fishback never shrinks from the challenge. Their chemistry is so potent that it's always in the foreground. I spoke with Fishback about landing the role opposite Jackson, working with the superstar, as well as her take on the character, playing young roles, and how she's enjoying her success. I began by asking her about the reaction to Ptolemy Gray. Just that um, that Sam and I are really great team partners together and that I hold my own, which is obviously a big compliment because it's Samuel Jackson. So it's cool to like, cause that's not what I was thinking about when I was going into it. I've been asked like, oh, were you nervous or anything like that? And I wasn't really nervous because Robin is not nervous of Ptolemy. Right. She's not intimidated by him. So therefore I'm not gonna do that because I'm representing this character. Yeah, she's she's the opposite. Uh, you know, she she kind of brings some some law and order to to the mix. 
Yeah, yeah. As soon as she comes in, it's like watching the second episode. She comes in and he's like, don't touch my my things. And I feel everybody in his life has allowed him to say, don't touch my things. And so they leave it because he's going to react. And she's like, no, I'm not going to let you do this. And she's he's yelling and he's doing this and she's yelling right back. And yeah, it's a cool dynamic. Well, there's the show is so interesting to me because it's got so many different elements at play. So you've got that relationship between your character and, and Sam's character. You've got sort of the the mystery uh you've got some sci-fi elements to it you've got you know issues of age i mean there's there's a lot going on on this show uh what did you sort of first make of it when you first were uh, approached with it to be honest i didn't know if it was the right next move for me because i had just come off of doing a lot of press for judas and black messiah and with a character like deborah johnson although she was still a teenager she was forced to grow up a little bit quicker. And so she had a very maternal instinct. So we're a very like, um, like wife kind of woman nest to her that I often don't get to play because I play so young on TV, which I love, but it was like, do I, do I go a different direction? Do I not go back to like teenagers or whatever? But Sam, um, he said that he knew he wanted me from seeing project power with Jamie Foxx and he called about it. And so to like, hear that is like, okay, well, let me take a, a closer look. And then I read um, the scripts and I read the novel and the novel just really blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first off, when, when Samuel L. Jackson calls you and says, I want to work with you, you just say yes. Right. Like, is that just like an automatic, like, of course, or, or you have to I mean, you would, you would think, I think you would think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think you would think so. Like, I think if you'd have asked me like, like 10 or five years ago, I'd be like, yeah, you just like, you know, kind of do it. But, but then again, I don't know if that's true. I've been very like particular, like what's my heart say? Yeah. You know, cause it, I'd rather work with the people that I admire when I love a project and I love a character. And I know that I could bring something special to it. I, I never want to do something just because somebody else that I love and want to work with is doing. Yeah. But, you know, it has other elements to it because control your experience of it or like just knowing that you did it for this reason that was beyond working with somebody you admire. Well, you have, uh, yeah, obviously the Sam Sam Jackson element of it. But then Walter Mosley, who is, you know, such such an artist, um, you know, and, and such a prolific, I mean, just an amazing author and and. Uh, you know, how much did you know about his work? How uh, how many of his, like, had you read many of his novels? What sort of was your sort of entryway to, to Walter Mosley? You know, my entryway was Last Days of Tom McGray. I, I didn't read that. I love to read, but I, I love to read more like self-help books, you know, like the the dynamic laws of the dynamic laws of prosperity and the power of now and those kind of books. So I hadn't read his novels, excuse me. I haven't read The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray, but um, when I read the I read the first and second episode and then I read the third and fourth and I finished them and I was like, dang, it's missing something. Like, I know that the show is not going to be the same as the book, but the book just has so many gems, so much beautiful language, so much truth to the characters and truth to Robin that I felt we really needed to have in the show. And so I made this... Um, 28 page PDF that I sent to Sam and Walter, just kind of explaining who I unpacked Robin to be via the novel, but also the ideas that was inspired. So for example, in a novel, Robin and Ptolemy kind of have like a little bit more of a romantic or questionable kind of love for each other. And although we weren't going to go in that direction, I brought up, like I I took stills of um, Natalie Portman in The Professional when she's like, I think I'm falling in love with you, Leon. And he like spits the milk out because I wanted us to still have that little like teeter like boy does she love him like that, you know like I just wanted yeah. it to be more well rounded as as yeah. the was. Yeah. So you sent the the PDF. What was the reaction? What uh, how did uh, Sam and Walter react? Uh, well, Sam was just Sam was like really impressed, and then we met, and I kind of walked him through what I was thinking and why I was picking the things that I was picking. Um, and then uh, Walter as well just got on the get on the Zoom with him and just spoke spoke about how we could bring those thing those things back. I mean, Robin in the novel doesn't have a scar, but in this one she does because I really wanted something that said she's not to be messed with before she even opens her mouth. 
like that idea of show, not tell. And how does that help the story? How does it help the experiences that she's had or that she's shared with Ptolemy? You know, yeah. uh, I also like used her name to find out what she wanted to do. We didn't really know her dreams. And I thought it was really important that we show that she has dreams as well, that it's not just her caring for Ptolemy, that she has her own autonomy over her body and her choices and what she cares about. And so by her name, I just decided that she wanted to be an astronomer because Robin, obviously birds fly, but she had so much trauma in her life that flying in a plane across country just wouldn't be far enough. So as a child, she would imagine going into a rocket ship and blasting off into space and maybe meeting her own ET and finding home. But before she can leave, she finds her own extraterrestrial being in Ptolemy in a way because his mind is on different timelines and, and yeah. such and kind of built things like that throughout the PDF. I love that. I love Thank that. You. And, and I love that. <laughs> I love that you had uh, sort of the, the the insight to do that uh, and and not just sort of settle for you know what you know your your character was given to you, but to say, no, I know who this person is. yeah, and well, just making sure that like i've I spoke to everybody before just saying like, well, you know, I'm a very collaborative actor. I love to like have discussions. I never think just because I have an idea that it's supposed to be taken or but I just like the conversation. Yeah. I started acting and writing when I was 15. They went hand in hand. And so I, I do feel like I, I have a kind of inkling to storytelling in a way. And I love to journal as my characters and find out their, their insides. And I'm always willing to share because maybe it'll find a whole other dynamic that we didn't even know existed. Yeah. No, that's that's great. I mean, everyone has a different style. So how, how did you kind of evolve sort of like how you approach acting and and does it come out? It sounds like maybe some of it comes out of some of the self-help self, self -help books that you read. Oh, 100 percent. I love. Well, see, I'm a huge fan of of astrology and um, like the top three. I don't know if you heard of them, like the ascending or rising, the sun sign that we all know. And then there's a moon. So even using my own personal life and what I've researched or come to know about the signs, I applied that to Robin. So I gave her her own birth chart, her own time of birth, place, date. And it turned out that she's a Scorpio, which I thought was kind of interesting that it tied into who she was in the story. Right. Like she's very protective. She has very secretive. When it comes to like death and emotion, she's very like, you can't really see. She's like, they died. And it's very much, she don't let, she doesn't let you in like that unless she really knows you. The rising is like her, like um, she's a Leo rising, which means she's the lion. They're the sun, they're the, the warmth, but she'll ferociously fight for what she cares about and who she cares about. And we kind of see that in the second episode with the neighborhood woman and Ptolemy. And then the moon is your inside is what only the closest people to you know. And her moon is a Libra. So that's where that balance and that just that justice comes into and how she cares for him and how she cares about what he thinks and where he is. OK, so we know about Robin, your character. What about Dominique? What about you? Tell, tell me about sort of your signs and how that informs just what you do, uh, yeah. you know, the jobs you choose, sort of how you approach acting your, your life. Well, honestly, I think astro astrology led me to med like meditate and kind of find out the truth about what I feel underneath any social conditionings that I might have had growing up or that I've placed on top of myself. Um, and so even that, like learning that I, I could potentially have a hard exterior because of where I grew up and where I come from. But really, I'm just like mushing inside and I'm really lovey-dovey and I want to be that. But yeah, in order to to be those things, you have to feel protected. You know, um, and I think that that's what Robin represents. And that's why I love her arc in the story so much, because she does start with that heart exterior. But as she softens as you go on, but it's not unwarranted. She softens because she has somebody who says, I don't need nothing from you or or your body. You know, I just I just love your company and I want you to, to feel loved. And that way she's able to soften and smile and and float and be who she probably always was inside before the world got on top of her. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of I think that's kind of the same for me. And um, I've always journaled as a kid. And that helps me to, like, find out how I truly feel about something. And I do that with my characters. And so they kind of have a, a mix of that. Do you uh, ever go back to your old journals? Do you ever reread what you wrote as a so what, what do you make of uh, young Dominique now? Honestly, I'm just so I'm so proud of her. Sometimes I'm like, dang, can I can I talk to her again? Because she 
because that's how actually how I pick my roles as well. It's very hard, especially as you become more more visible and you have like a, a track record and now you're like, oh, do you how do you pick the next thing? What What's the right thing? I kind of just say, well, the only thing you could do is one, trust God, but also just trust my inner self, my inner child. I feel she's a compass. When we when I was growing up, I didn't think about critics and what they would like or not like about me or audiences. I just knew I loved the characters and wanted to be on TV. And so, and I wanted to be able to do anything of any any genre, just wanted to be well-versed and versatile. And so that's how I'm picking the next things. What is, what childhood dream does it it kind of uh, cross off, right? For example, going from Judas to to Transformers, right? That's like not what we may, may think, but I know that I've always had an affinity for the Black Panther Party. I care about history so much. It's one of my favorite subjects. But also, I I love like big movies and Transformers since I was a kid watching that and and um, imagining that I could be in that place. So I want to be able to do all the things that my young heart always dreamed about. Yeah, absolutely. And and you still have a young heart. Now you mentioned hey. that you still play a lot of young characters. Yeah. Is that, uh, <laughs> do you do you still do you do you like doing that? Do you do you find that uh, you you're, you're sort of like okay, I, I'm I'm ready to play older now or what's no, I, I love it. I love it. I honor teenagers. I think they're the best. So I so I love it. And I thank God that I, I still look young. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. that I can do all of these things. I think what I would like is um, to show because in my real life, I'm like that. But like to just be more more fluid, like, you know, not just teenage, teenage, teenager. If I could do teenager, then 30 and then come back teenager and keep going to like, do all that stuff. Then that's I love it. I welcome it. Yeah embrace it as long as you can you're gonna yes. be glad you did one day yes, so, so um yeah we, we talked a little bit about working with samuel L. jackson but uh yes. you know what, what what would we be maybe most surprised about uh your your uh about him or working with him what did you find what were you expecting it would be like to work with them and then what was it actually like to i mean again you're sparring with him on screen that's pretty amazing i think i had expectations i think I think uh, I haven't been in industry so long, but when you don't have too many expectations, you can't get let down. You know what I'm saying? So like, I don't go in thinking like, it's going to be like, like best friends or whatever, you know? Um, But I think what's most like surprising to me is that he has like a photographic memory and he remembers everybody's lines. He just knows them, you know? And something so serious as this, especially for the relationship with his family, he was, oftentimes in between takes like not serious at all about about any of it which was which was cool um and he just he was just more so teaching me about the art of i think it's an art to being like a movie star i think in school we learn the art of acting the craft of it but we kind of leave out that other aspect you know because that's really a lot of times in school they try to teach you it's not about this it's not about that it's about the work and so what happens when you've dedicated all of this time and effort to the work, but you don't know how to move, maneuver the industry parts, excuse me. And um, he's very specific about this is what you need to have. You need to have a per- hair personal makeup team. Like these people protect you. They, they care about your interests. These are the perks. This is what your team should ask for when you're doing contracts. Um, things that I didn't even think about, that I didn't even know existed. Yeah, yeah, the the nuts and bolts of this this business. Yeah, yeah. So, are you enjoying this? I mean, is this like you know this 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 ride that you're on right now? It's is is it uh, cracked up to you know what you hoped it would be the the uh, you know the the recognition the the the, the fact that you're out there and and you know doing it. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's better than I probably imagined because I didn't know how to imagine this far. You know, everybody says, oh, well, what do you want to do next? And I kind of have general ideas, but I feel God always ups whatever it is that I dream. So I can't even put a like a cap on it, you know, so there's that. But then also realizing that happiness and freedom and everything starts with yourself and it starts in the mind. So I was doing these these movies with people that I always admired and I was depressed, you know? And so learning about what it means to actually have happiness is not anything outside of you. 
And I think if we go into these things in our dreams and like I, for my whole life, I've been tunnel vision towards acting. And then you get there and you're like, hmm, do I feel like I can feel happy in the moments when I'm doing interviews like this or when I'm on carpets and stuff. But what's happening in the downtime and in between? And that's when the real work comes in, in terms of once you're happy with yourself when you're not working, then you can be happy and accept even the parts of it that don't feel so good. And I think because I'm in a better place with my with my own self, it makes all of this even better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it all leads to being in that theater at the premiere watching yeah. yourself on screen. And just being able to fully enjoy it because yeah. you worked on the other things that wasn't so happy that had nothing to do with anything outside of outside of you. Well, now I have uh, the my six rapid fire questions for you. So we're going to jump in. Okay, first off, what is the question people ask you the most? Let's see if I already asked you. Oh, my goodness. The question that people ask me the most is, how come you look so young? <laughs> <laughs> You're 31. Y'all look a day over 19 or something like that. That's, that's probably most asked question. Wait, are you 31? I am. I just turned 31. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> my birthday was March 22nd, like a week well, ago. Happy, happy birthday. And yeah. also, how, why do you look so young? No, okay. <laughs> okay. So number two, the TV show in history that you wish you were a part of. Is there a show that you love growing up that you kind of wish like you had been in or? I, uh, I loved, uh, I love, I love Lucy though. Like I love, but maybe I could have been Lucy. I don't know. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I like it. Um, uh, what would people be surprised you watch, either guilty pleasure or not? Okay, so I would normally say The Vampire Diaries because that's my thing. I would watch it over and over again. I'm so team Delena. But lately I haven't been able to get back into it. So I've been watching uh, Love is Blind because mm. it's romantic. And to believe that Cameron and Lauren could find a love like theirs is just amazing. Uh, have, you watched, have you watched all season two? Yes, I did. Yes. And, and and Jared and uh, what's her name? Uh, Ayana. Yeah, I like them. Yeah. Where, where'd, you fall, where'd you fall on Shake? Is is he? You know, from the beginning, I was like, maybe they should run. So uh, and then and then he started like opening up, and I started being like, oh, maybe maybe that was wrong. But then everything kind of hit the fan, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you've watched the reunion special, yeah. Oh, maybe. I watched that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no comment. Yeesh. <laughs> Um, so what what hobby would you be doing if you didn't have your day job? Um, I would want to do aerial work, like gymnastics and stuff like that. Oh, wow. That's cool. And that could be a part of your day job, too. So, yeah, I know. That's why I love acting, because I get to tap into different things. I used to play basketball a lot and I had to choose whether I was going to act or play basketball. I'm so glad I chose acting. But now when I get a role where I'm like really playing basketball, then it could be a lot of fun. Very cool. Um, the food, one one food you can cook. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, and this is supposed to be rapid. Um, I could cook this quinoa salsa shrimp dish that my stylist actually taught me how to make. I love it a lot. Sounds delicious. Yeah. And finally, besides your own show, what other show are you rooting for this Emmy season? To be honest, I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't even know what's going on right now. <laughs> it's all good. You're too busy making it. I understand. Well, yeah, but also like when I when I go home, I don't turn on the TV. Like, and I literally only got a, t- a TV in my apartment because I knew that my mom and my sister would come to visit me and they would need something to do. Yeah. So I don't really watch a lot of TV. I really do love to read and journal and play piano. I started learning piano. I made my own uh, cover of Song Cry by Jay-Z. Where I, I rap my own lyrics and and um, use that chorus, and I love doing voice lessons once a week, sing, uh, piano twice a week, and just different different things keep my energy, like you know, keep my mind going and my creative self expression. That's Dominique Fishback, star of The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray, now streaming on Apple TV Plus. After the break, Mr. Mayor star Bobby Moynihan from Los Angeles. This is the Award Circuit Podcast. It's Kaylee. 
Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. On NBC's Mr. Mayor, comedy icon Ted Danson plays Neil Bremer, a retired business tycoon who decides to run for Los Angeles mayor on a whim. And he wins, much to the chagrin of his own daughter, as well as city council member Arpie Meskimen, played by Holly Hunter. The Office comedy, from the minds of Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, also features Bobby Moynihan as press secretary Jaden Quapis, a character who's a bit naive but extremely loyal. Jaden? It's Emily. Emily, hi! Hi! (laughs) (laughs) You're even cuter in person. So are you. (laughs) I googled you back. I guess that elderly woman in Van Nuys with your name isn't you. I'll probably still be a gentleman and take her to the audiologist on Thursday, but just as friends. (laughs) Wasn't kidding. Of course you remember Bobby Moynihan from Saturday Night Live, but he's been busy in recent years with a voice acting career, including DuckTales, Summer Camp Island, Star Wars Resistance, We Bear Bears, and so much more. And then there's the second season of Mr. Mayor, a rapid-fire comedy that also is probably the most well-researched sitcom ever about the politics of Los Angeles. When I recently hopped on the Zoom with Moynihan, we began by discussing just how busy he is. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. I, 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 I'm not good uh, at standstill. <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't seem like it. I mean, you've got like several day jobs. You're right. You, you've got a, 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 a sort of illustrated book coming out. You've got yeah. an animated series. You're voicing on 12 other animated series, I think. So... Um, so there's a lot to talk about, but <laughs> I want to kick things off with Mr. Mayor because I'm just so glad that Mr. Mayor is in my life, and I'm so glad it's back. Oh, thank you. Too. Um, and Me too. There's something about also just you know I think the show is universal. I think you know it it, it can be appreciated everywhere, but there's something about living in LA that really appreciate some of the nuanced jokes that you guys do that, you know, like a tossed off reference to Americana at brand or, you know, the empty soup plantations or, you know, (laughs) it is like a, uh, you know, the usual sort of Tina Fey, Robert Carlock special of just like rat-a-tat-tat jokes. But um, it it is, it's, it's, it, it, it also feel this season feels so much better because, first one we shot one episode took six months off you know then we had you know the pandemic we it was like we shot nine episodes over two years and then this this season we shot them all right in a row so this this season feels like a real season to me (laughs) yeah that's so surreal to be launching a show just in the middle of the pandemic and and sort of Uh, yeah what you the day you really want to launch like a light political comedy is the day after uh, the insurrection (laughs) (laughs) good timing good timing. yeah yeah the night before season two started we were like okay we just we just got one more night we just got to get through one more night (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah no it's uh, that that's been tough and and uh yeah yeah and i know the show had to go back and reference the pandemic in the pilot which originally wasn't there right but then had to be sort of like worked back in to explain what was going on yeah a year after we shot the pilot we went back and shot new scenes to incorporate the pandemic and also make things make sense because like it was like well people wouldn't do that anymore like (laughs) i remember i was on dodger stadium but was on the pitcher's mound at dodger stadium and someone came over and was like tom hanks has this thing called COVID, and i was like would you stop scaring everybody everything's gonna be fine like (laughs) and then the next day we were done (laughs) So surreal. And here we yeah. are two years later. Yeah. Uh, some things have changed. Some things haven't. But yeah. um, so so in terms of because you guys then had that special Christmas episode um, sort of in between. And it's sort of that was, I guess, a little bit a part of season one 
but almost like a bridge between the two seasons. So how did the production work for, for you guys in, in terms of when you were down, when you were able to come back, and then when you were able to really focus on season two? Uh, we stopped for a while. We came back for season – when we found out about season two, we came back and we shot 11 episodes right in a row just as quickly as we possibly could. And one of those, like the seventh one we shot because we didn't know till halfway through – uh, was the Christmas special. We found out we were going to do a Christmas special, so we just shot it halfway through the second season, and they aired it first. But it was nice because, like you said, it was like the Christmas special was more like, hey, do you remember this show that came out in the middle of the pandemic? Where well, we're coming back, and here's the characters again. So it felt very nice. Yeah, <laughs> I was glad yeah. we got to do that. I mean, thankfully, uh, you know, it, it is, yeah, like I mentioned, tough to launch a show in this day and age, but when you have a Ted Danson, at the helm, who is of course comedy royalty, yeah, um, and 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 this whole fun cast. Um, but kind of let's let's back up and tell me about the origin story of how you got first involved with with Mr. Mayor and when you first were uh, approached about this project and and what that that early process was like and, and sort of like yeah of course Tina I'll, I'll do this. Yeah, I mean, that was it. I got a phone call one day from Tina just saying, hey, do you want to grab dinner? And I was just like, okay, what's happening? <laughs> and she kind of laid it out to me that they were thinking about doing this show and they had this part named Jaden for me. And it was, it's funny, it was always Jaden Quapus. Like they, that never changed. And uh, uh, that she had me in mind for this and I couldn't believe it. I was the happiest boy in the world. And then uh, it went away for a little while and then it, it came back. Uh, like a year later uh, with Ted Danson and uh, it was just kind of brand new thing. And then uh, Holly Hunter got involved and I was like, are you kidding me? Like what's happening? Yeah. yeah. I, I, once I heard Holly Hunter, I was like, I'll believe it when I see it. Like this is, this is insane. And then, yeah. And then we just started doing it and then the pandemic happened to be stopped. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of like Holly Hunter. Like we've never seen her before. It's, it's, I, I, Still, I'm like, it, it's hard to believe that she's playing this role and is willing to put up with this amount of nonsense half the time on this show, surrounded by comedians who are used to this kind of nonsense. Uh, she loves it, and I think she loves it, and uh, she's so good at it. It's crazy. I think she's one of the, I think Arpy's one of the best characters on television, especially by the end of this season. Like, they do a, it's it's just so great. She's so wonderful. <laughs> I, yeah. I love everything I get to do with her. Well, talk about Jaden real quick because obviously he's you know he's he's sort of the bumbling comic relief. But every once in a while, you're reminded, oh no, he's got some smarts. He's got some political savvy, even if maybe it's accidental savvy. But <laughs> talk a little bit about this character and and uh, sort of his his role in this office dynamic. I feel like he's like in the Gump family somehow. Like he just he just has this fantastical life where he just keeps stepping into awesome things. He's a little Forrest Gumpy. Um, yeah, he 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 always ends up doing well. He he means well, but he screws it up. But in the end, he'll accidentally figure out you know how to do something completely right. Uh, and that's what this season is. This season is just like uh, Jaden realizing he can't be the bumbling idiot all the time and he's actually gotta you know if he wants to you know work for the mayor and do this and, and be an adult he has to move out of his mom's house and and get his life together and that's kind of what this season's about for him or you'll start seeing yeah in yeah. episode four because <laughs> you're starting to see so far in the season so they, they, there's this i team that comes in uh, you know and and who really wants to instill some discipline to to the mayor's team and and of course Jaden is right there, target number one, and suddenly his coworkers, who really, you know, are, are frustrated, annoyed by him, at the same time sort of feel a loyalty to him and also an affection toward him and, and sort of start to rally around him. I, yeah, I think there's part of them that like they want to keep him around so that they're always not the worst at their job, but they also truly do care about him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like a you know your your workplace comedy where they have become uh, sort of an unusual family. That uh, yeah, there's a lot of awesome moments like that coming up in in this, and that they they they're all weirdos, but they're each other's weirdos, and they 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 do care about each other. 
And you have one of my favorite moments from early in the season, season two, where where you do you know mouth vacuum the uh, the keyboard, which. <laughs> I remember thinking, how do I do this without inhaling? Like, how do I, like, how do you physically do this without making it disgusting? And the prop guy was kind of like, uh, you don't, it's real clean, man. I was just like, all right, <laughs> I guess I got to just do this. Yeah. <coughs> I got to go method. If there's some crumbs yeah. in there, just suck them up. And, and Tina knows that the SNL in me just goes, just do it. <laughs> Is that the? Is there something about uh, sort of uh, the, that SNL ethos that you're you're willing to 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 kind of do anything or what? What is that sort of? I, I'm realizing now. I'm realizing now at 45, yes, that there was part of me that would have done anything for that show, and there's part of me at, at the age 45 now that knows I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a young but man. For Tina, I would do anything. Yeah. For Tina, I would literally do anything. Um, and there is, uh, you know, we talked about that Tina and, and Robert Carlock sort of like rat attached pad. I mean, there's so much stuff into these scripts and so much the, the asides, the, the the jokes within jokes. Uh, I mean, these are dense, dense stories. What is that like to actually shoot and to kind of keep up with when it's just like rat attached so much going on? Uh, it's awesome now because like, Working with Ted, who's somebody who just, he's been doing television for, you know, 50 years. He knows what he's like, you know, he's so smart with it. And, and Holly too, as far as the, as far as just the acting chops go. But when you're working with them, like the scripts have been getting longer and we're like, wow, the scripts are getting longer, but then we only have 22 minutes like to get this, but we're shooting, like we're overshooting so that we can, we can have so much stuff because like, we'll, we'll be shooting a whole scene and we go like, we know this isn't getting in. They're only going to use three lines from this or, but like they, they, they cover all their bases in an amazing way. And it's, and it is dense, but we, we, we overshoot stuff and they, they, they kind of cherry pick the, the episodes from there. I feel like there, there are things, but there are definitely things when we are shooting where I'm like, this is not making it. This was just like their pipe dream of like, can we get this joke that takes five sentences to get in? <laughs> like, can we get this in? And we'll know it's not going to get in and it's not there when the episode comes out. But it's like, oh, we tried. Or or a lot of the times we'll do some lines and then they're like, just say it faster. It doesn't matter. Just <laughs> as f quickly as possible. <laughs> so you must be interested when you actually get the screener. Like, uh, so I wonder what this episode actually looks like. Oh, 100%. But, but I, I also think uh, as far as anything else I've ever been in, uh, I don't look to it. I, I, I'm excited to see it as a fan. Uh, I, I don't, I don't uh, look to it to go, oh, what did they use? Because all of it is gold. Uh, I don't have to improvise that much when I'm there. And I love improvising because I get to the end and I'm like, I, I don't know if I could really top anything in that. <laughs> I'm like, uh, it, it's nice to, to get to an end of a scene and not go, well, let me do these five jokes just in case. It's like, it's already there. It's already there. Man. That's funny. So what was your sort of experience with Ted Danson like before this? Had you worked with him on anything? Uh, I had never worked with him before. I met him once. Uh, I don't, he does not remember this. I was backstage at Conan. Like we used to do those, those bits at Conan O'Brien, just like, I was a guy who like I ran by in my underwear, just like dumb, dumb thing on Conan, like during some comedy bit. Yeah. And uh, we were, I was there one day and Ted Danson was getting a coffee and I was bartending at the time. And he, he, I had just finished making a coffee and he picked it up and he handed it to me and I went, cheers. And he just went, Oh, <laughs> and he kind of just walked away. And I was like, no, no, oh, no, I was, I'm a bartender. I'm just used to saying that word. Like it just so happened you were on cheers and, oh. and he was not happy about it. And uh, he walked away from me, but uh, uh, he does not, I haven't told him that, but I, I highly doubt he will remember. That is hysterical. And now when you say <laughs> Becker, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now he's the best now. Now I've had dinner at his house. I feel much more comfortable with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I, I want like one of one of my like favorite Hollywood couples is, is him and Mary. I just want everything to be perfect for those two. Uh, agreed, agreed. She's she's a fascinating lady too. 
So what, what, uh, you know, now that you've gotten to know Ted, you sort of like is, is what, what was that like? Cause he is sort of, you know, he's that one of those like comedian, like legends who has every show he's been on has worked. Like I can't think of a clunker that he's done. Even, you know, we joke about Becker. That thing went for like eight years or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he's, he's fantastic. Uh, he's just a professional guy. He's a really nice professional man, which I don't think you get in this business uh, a lot. It's just like, he's somebody who's been doing it long. He's quick. He's good at it. He's funny. He's charming. And he's not uh, an a-hole. He's, he's, he's a wonderful, nice guy. Um, I definitely, I remember in, in the middle of season one, shooting one scene in particular, with him and Bo Bridges, where they were just kind of yelling at each other, and I was just standing there going like, "Like that's Ted dancing and Bo Bridges. Like, what? What am I doing right now? How did I end up here?" And you do get a lot of that with Ted, but he is very, very good at going like, "It's not that weird." Like, <laughs> it just just pointing out like he's just like, "Yes, I'm Ted dancing," but like you know, we're all people, and like right, he's right. he's very, very good at, at that, but. Yeah, sometimes you do look at him and you go, that's Sam Malone. What the, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> yeah, and there he is with the nanny. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, that's the best part about this. It's the best part about this business. SNL and this show is just like, do you ever want to meet one of your legends? Well, here they are. So now as you go around Los Angeles, are you starting to think a little more about L.A. politics? Are you starting to notice like, oh, yeah, that's the Parks and Recreation Department. Oh, yeah, that's the, you know, it's, it's uh, have you sort of like, like by osmosis started to think a little bit more about how this city works? Yes, definitely. Uh, I also I get super weirded out whenever they have a real press conference because I had no idea that they modeled our set after the real L.A. City Hall. So like when the guy did a press conference from city hall, I was like, it looked like a scene from our show. I was just like, why are they, like, who is this? Like, I was like, what is happening? Uh, that that's confusing to me. Um, but yeah, no, a little bit, I should be much more, uh, uh, into politics, but, uh, it, it definitely has. I notice the, the buildings a lot more. <laughs> no, you're, you're set. Actually, they did a fantastic job. Oh yeah. It's, it's crazy. Authentic. And, and I like it's one of the shows where you do have plenty of extras around. So it does feel like it's a real office. It always, always find it funny when you have an office setting uh, and it, there's only like the four same people. It's like, do they not have yeah. workers? Do they not? It was, it was weird during COVID, but also they're the same. It's all the same. Like all the people that work in the office are the same from the beginning. And and they're slowly getting lines and like it's it's wonderful. It's yeah, they're all the same people. So no, like other- our, our staff has been our staff since the beginning. Yeah, and I like that because, yeah, you start to notice it is the same people. It's like, oh, yeah, this is the legit office. Yeah. By people. Um, the other amusing thing, of course, is that now that Rick Caruso is running for mayor of Los Angeles, a billionaire, uh, you know, older white man uh, who has decided to, you know, run for mayor, sounds a little familiar. Yeah, that's all we need. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, it's fun to see where I don't want to spoil anything, but seeing where this season is going and and, and stuff. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, art imitates life. Imitates yeah. it's it's the the way things go. So, well, we mentioned that you're a very busy man, and I hear you just so much on all the shows that I watch with my kids these days. Uh, you know. <laughs> okay. Ducktales, We Bear Bears, um, you know, it's it's a lot. And now you have your own show that you're launching. Yeah. Uh, uh, very beginning of the pandemic, I put out this thing with uh, Comedy Central Digital called Lofi. Uh, I was just, I'm, I've been doing a lot of animation. I've been an animation fan my whole life, and I just wanted to uh, continue to work and also uh, uh, learn how to, you know, do animation. So I, I did this thing called Lofi. It was like half improvised cartoon. And I learned right off the bat, you should never do an improvised cartoon. <laughs> it's very hard. Yeah. Um, as far as like just sifting through 10 hours of improv for every, uh, uh, episode, but, um, yeah. And then they were kind enough to, to, to let me try again. And I, I got to do this thing called lightning wolves. It's, uh, it's sort of, a an homage to like those eighties cartoon shows like Thundercats and He-Man GI Joe that were like, you know, there to teach you life lessons, but they actually were just their sole purpose is they're, 
to sell you toys. <laughs> and uh, uh, the Lightning Wolves, the characters uh, slowly realize in this series that they are toys and being played with by real children, and then they attack those real children. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, and it sounds yeah. like you got some of your pals to to help you voice some of these characters. So that that sounds like it was a blast. Yeah, I'm, I've been really enjoying the process of it. Uh, animation is super special, and uh, yeah, I got I, I called in a lot of favors, and uh, it's it's much easier to record something in your closet and ask your or ask your friend to record something in their closet than it is to ask them to come to a studio and act. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, that that's cool, and um, you know, so so you've been doing a lot of these voiceover jobs, like I mentioned. So, it, it, did sort of one beget the next? Did this sort of become an avalanche? Uh, what was sort of the entry point for you to, to really get into this space? One of my very very first jobs I have ever got was like a friend of mine, Jackie Clark at UCB, was working on a cartoon, and she was like, "Do you want to do some voices on this cartoon?" And I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Uh, and I did that. And I remember like that was just more like I, I learned how to do the process. And then I did a couple little things. But then when I was on SNL, I got a phone call out of nowhere from uh, uh, Pixar. Uh, and Dan Scanlon was like, I, I saw a sketch that you were in and I really thought you were funny. Would you want to play this character in Monsters University? It was like two lines. I came in and I did it and then they were like, we really like that character. So they made me like the sidekick to the bad guy. I got to do a couple more. And then a couple months later I did inside out. I was in inside out for a couple lines. And like, after that, it just, I kind of went like, Oh, this is fun. And I just sought it out and then got enough things here and there to keep it going. And then ducktails and we bear bears. And like, I think that kind of, I kept seeking it out. So I think people went like, oh, he wants to do animation. Let's hire him. And they did. It was nice. And now if that's the only thing I did for the rest of my life, I'd be happy. Well, it's, yeah, you, you were, you were smart even before the pandemic. Like I, I'm sure you <laughs> yeah. do most of these in your home now. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a, now have a recording booth upstairs. So that's cool. Um, yeah. Uh, so I do have a couple of rapid fire questions for you now. Sure. I have one for you. I just love your, I have all the lost action figures uh, in my house too. I'm so happy you do too. Yeah. Yeah. From season I one, I got there. the hatch up here. I've got all the different characters. Yeah. Um, here, wait. Oh, let me show you something crazy. <laughs> oh no. My, oh, my headphones are not plugged in. Oh, yeah, I'm uh, very much a lost uh, apologist, I guess is the word. I loved every minute of it, so no haters. Look at all that. Look at the... That's one of the Virgin Mary statues. Look at that. I got a whole bunch of... Law. I'm a huge Lost fan. That's yeah. Arma beers from the show. That's... I have a, I have a problem with Lost. <laughs> <laughs> you got some Apollo bars, I'm sure. Uh, I do, I do. I I actually I'm, I have to go back to New York. I have uh, a storage unit in New York that just has uh, the fish biscuit machine from Lost, from when yeah. when they got caught in the polar bear thing, and they would press the button and the fish biscuits would come out. I have that, and I got it in like an auction. Oh yeah, I remember that auction. They um, were selling the yeah. I I I, I went crazy, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still dealing with it years later. That's great. I like. By the way, was that the museum? Was that the that looked like the vault with the the? Yes, it's the literally one. it's literally behind a fake cabinet. It's where I keep all the weird stuff I've collected. All the fun stuff. Okay. <laughs> I think we need like a, a photographic uh, tour of that at some point. It's pr it's pretty nuts. It's pretty nuts in there. All right. So rapid fire. Uh, yeah. So the question that people ask you the most. Maybe I already asked you it, but uh, what what uh, what do you get people asking you these days? Nothing, because I don't leave the house uh, now. Now it's what is it like to work with Ted Danson and Holly Hunter? There you go. Um, <laughs> and it's always wonderful, and I always uh, change it because it's it's very easy to. Yeah, uh, there's a million great things about them. Do people also ask you to do any voices? Any. Uh... Uh, or they ask me for SNL tickets and I have to explain to them that I haven't been on the show for five years. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Do you still watch SNL? Do you, uh, Oh yeah, of course. 
Yeah, I was a fan before, and I continue to be. Yeah. yeah. I don't catch it on Saturday nights anymore. Like the rest of America, right? Yeah, even 8.30 in L.A. is late for me, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, so what's the TV show in history that uh, you wish you were a part of? Lost. Easily. I, one of these days, they're going to have to reboot it, right? I have ideas. Please call me. <laughs> yeah. I'm on a, I want to, yeah, I, I, it, we have to go back. Yeah, and and when even when they finished the show, I used to talk to to Damon and Carlton all the time about this. Even they've said like they it's Disney. Disney knows IP. Of course, they're going to bring it back at some point. So, we'll... yeah. Uh, what would people be surprised you watch? Guilty pleasure. Um, <laughs> recently, like I've been too much. I had to like tell myself like you know, I'm super into like I had to do. For Mr. Mayor, I had to do a TikTok. Like, I, Jaden was doing a TikTok in season one, and I kind of didn't know what it was, so I downloaded TikTok just to kind of watch it, and now I, that's all I do, and I can't seem to get off of it. But, like, I didn't realize that I was going to end up watching, like, a guy who, like, grows his own stuff in his garden or, like, this guy that helps cows on a farm. Like, <laughs> like I'm fascinated by weird specific microcosm worlds i enjoy it yeah yeah you and the kids you know yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I've now. Um, so what what hobby would be you be doing if you didn't have your day job uh drawing like comic books or like sculpting maybe <laughs> making action figures making like i don't know something that's cool I always wished I could sing, but I can't. Well, I, I could carry a tune, but my wife's a Broadway singer, and I go, oh, no, I don't sing. No duets. No. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, um, what food uh, can you cook that you're proud of? I'm an okay cook. Um, I can cook most things. Um, I make a nice stuffed chicken every once in a while if I, if I have to. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm like a fine chef. I, I'm not an idiot, but I know I can boil water. Yeah, good yeah. enough. Yeah. And finally, besides your own show, uh, what are you rooting for this Emmy season? Oh, everyone else, because I'm a mensch and I can't help it. <laughs> uh, what else? Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't like watch any television. I go, who of my friends has TV shows? I was about to say Vanessa Bayer, but her show hasn't even started yet. Uh, but it will be, and it'll be out. Yeah. Well, good. Then her. Then definitely her. That's Bobby Moynihan, star of NBC's Mr. Mayor. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. The Award Circuit Podcast is edited by Drew Griffith, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. Until next time, for Jazz Tanke, Emily Longaretta, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Oh,